Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome back, one and all, to The Damage Report. I am John Iderola, and for today, that will have to be enough. But it's not actually the only thing that we've got going for us. We have me, and we have an absolutely packed rundown of far too much news. Not only did the Senate get off their old wrinkled heinies and actually pass something for once, we have that. We have kind of like low-key judgment week for Donald Trump, big updates on a lot of his cases. We're not gonna be covering most of them today. We're gonna be focusing on just one, but this is a week in which almost all of the legal troubles that Donald Trump has found himself in are going to be having some sort of update or clarification, a timeline being laid out, something like that. And so through the course of not only today's show, but throughout the week, we will hopefully be catching up on that. Let's see, we've got a whole bunch of racism, some of it actually even coming with consequences. What a novel concept. And that's just in the first hour. Coming up in the aftermath, Jon Stewart has returned and I have thoughts. Mostly because everybody has thoughts and a lot of people are not necessarily happy with Jon Stewart's return, including people who you might have expected would have been perfectly happy with it. So we're gonna talk about not only his first show back, but we're also gonna take a look at How likely is it that Jon Stewart, now once again at the helm of The Daily Show, at least on Mondays, um, Jontastic Mondays, I think is what they're calling them over there, uh, will have some sort of big societal impact or impact on the election? We're going to be talking about that. And we're also going to do a little bit of an analysis of Tucker Carlson's retrospective on his big interview with Vladimir Putin. The interview was a major bomb. It was a snooze fest, even from Tucker Carlson's point of view. But the interesting thing is what Tucker Carlson would like you to take away from it. And what he is clearly trying to get his audience to be okay with, not when it comes to Russia, but when it comes to the future of America. I think it's fascinating and we are going to be jumping into that a little bit later on. So if you're listening on the podcast, thank you as always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. But bear in mind as always that there will be more content released as videos on demand on the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the damage report. And if that's the place where you're at, or perhaps on Twitch, go ahead and hit the like button. It couldn't hurt. You know what? If you're listening to the podcast, look, maybe, maybe your thing has a like button. I don't know how it works. I don't know everything. But with that, we do have a lot of news to talk about. So why don't we jump into our first story? Everyone, wake up. The Senate did a thing. Kind of. It involves a lot of money, 95 million billion dollars. Million. That's not gonna get you through a day of these conflicts. 95 billion dollars in aid being provided to those either suffering from or waging a number of military campaigns. So we've got 60 billion dollars to Ukraine, obviously still being invaded by Russia. billion in security assistance to Israel, as well as $9 billion to the civilian suffering in Gaza, and nearly $5 billion to Taiwan. And the fascinating thing about this is that it passed the Senate. It was a 70 to 29 vote, 
Now, 22 Republicans joined with virtually all of the Democrats to pass this thing. And based on what Republicans have been saying about all of these issues over the past few months, that means that dozens of Republicans have decided to doom Israel in their conflict against Hamas. Billions of dollars in necessary aid to the IDF that those Republicans just don't want to give them. Or at the very least, they don't want to give them that aid. If it also means that Ukraine might have a chance of weathering this invasion for another year. They're willing to sacrifice Israeli security interests if that's what it takes to get what they apparently want in Ukraine, which is their utter annihilation or at the very least surrender. So that's all fun. Um, But the thing is, while it has passed in the Senate, that does not mean that it's gonna become law. This, like the border deal, could end up just being, I don't know, a fun policy thing that we talk about for a few days. But let's all bear in mind, it is an election, so let's not pass anything. And the reason for that is the politics all going on. Some of it explicit, and we'll get to those videos, stay tuned for that. But some of it more behind the scenes. Let me try to catch you up. The vote on this foreign aid Senate bill comes months after the White House requested the supplemental funding package when Republicans demanded that the foreign aid be tied to enhanced border security measures. But when a long sought bipartisan border security agreement was released last week and then quickly rejected after former President Donald Trump weighed in, the deal's prospects in Congress disappeared. That's sort of the history. It now seems like ancient history, but at one point, Republicans were saying, "Oh, I guess you can get that foreign aid money, but only if we get the security at the border that we demand. Sorry, did we say demand? We mean oppose, we oppose it, we don't want it anymore. And so, okay, you don't want the border deal. So I guess we just do the aid. I mean, I know you guys don't really care about Ukraine or whatever, but you seem to be really jazzed up about Israel. So Chuck Schumer decided, okay, we'll do the aid package. We'll take away the border stuff that you guys say we don't need to pass anyway. And we could just focus on the foreign aid. And it did win over a few Republicans. I believe five Republican senators that did not support the border bill did support this bill. And so now it's on to the House where it will be killed like the border deal was. We kind of expect that. But what they are saying, the way they're communicating in advance of killing it, that's what's truly fascinating. So Speaker Mike Johnson says, the mandate of national security supplemental legislation was to secure America's own border before sending additional foreign aid around the world. Now, in the absence of having received any single border policy change from the Senate, the House will have to continue its own work on these important matters. So you see what he's doing there? We said, and I think we were clear, that we're not doing this without border security. This doesn't have it, so I guess we're not gonna do it. But wait, they sent you the bill with the border security. It was just like last week, wasn't it? Like that was not a long time ago. I know we all had like Super Bowl fever over the weekend or something, but I don't know, the fever should have gone away by now. How do you not remember that? But if it is a loss of memory, if it's some sort of pragmatic delusion, it's one that's spreading. Take a look at Rick Scott. I want a secure border. Our voters, you travel, I'll tell you around my state, the number one issues, I want that they want, my Floridians want the border secure today. Today, they want the border secure today. Nothing else, nothing else, they want the border secure. Okay, they want it secure, they want it now, today. That's the only, let's do that, let's do that. That's the only thing, we wanna do that. Do I need to remind you guys that he voted against the border bill? He wasn't interested in it. And now he's saying that we don't need to do this aid bill by itself because we should be focusing on the border with the bill that Republicans 
negotiated over the course of months and got what they wanted. And then he turned against it for the same reason that they all turned against it, which is that Donald Trump suddenly didn't want it anymore. So this is the plan. It's a plan that I guess kind of failed in the Senate. Rick Scott didn't get what he wanted. Enough Republicans joined up with Democrats that they were able to move this thing forward. But now it's going to the House where the Republicans, despite their narrow majority there, obviously, you know, if they all line up together, they can block this thing. And if the speaker is against it, it doesn't even necessarily have to come to a vote. So they have much more control here. But the ridiculous thing is, how is this gonna play like across the country? Because you know, this is the thing that Tim Scott did last week, going forward and seeming to not remember that he opposed the border security that he now says needs to be in the thing. So, okay, so I guess we can we can add it back in, and then you guys can oppose it because Trump doesn't want it. Like we can go through this utterly pointless loop a couple more times, feeling like a much more consequential version of Groundhog's Day, and he was mocked for it. But he was mocked for it by the media, by rational people who are paying attention to what's going on. I honestly don't know what the MAGA world thought about what Tim Scott said. So it's hard for me to understand how the MAGA world is gonna respond to Mike Johnson and the Rick Scotts of the world. Because one would think they want that Israel aid to go forward. They like the war that's being prosecuted in Gaza, but now they're not gonna get the aid. Okay, they might be a little bit frustrated by that, but oh well, you know, we do want the border security, except that you don't want the border security. You don't, it's not just that you didn't want the border security bill that they tried to put forward last week, the Republican one. You don't want anything to pass. You agree with Donald Trump on True Social that we don't need anything. He could do it with this with a with a single motion of his pen. So why would they buy this argument? They fundamentally don't agree that with the idea that we should be doing something about the border. And look, the answer at the end of the day probably is that all of this requires a sort of malleability of the mind when it comes to politics, wherein whatever the last thing that Donald Trump said is the thing that they're gonna go with. So, you know, Mike Johnson can put out his memos and Rick Scott can do his interviews and they'll like agree with it while at the same time fundamentally disagreeing with the premise, but none of it really matters at the end of the day. And and possibly because their fundamental view of the border and perhaps these foreign conflicts is very similar to the way that these elected representatives feel about it. There are these positions that you stake out rhetorically and maybe you even put a little bit of fire in your words, but you don't really care about it because at the end of the day, politics is not really supposed to be about anything. It's just whatever gives me what I need right now, whatever I need for my political benefit, whatever I need for the election that I'm running in, whatever I need to feel morally or ideologically superior to other people. And that is what is being delivered, even if the way it's being delivered seems on its face and even with a good degree of analysis to be utterly illogical. Dear Republican Senators of America, Ronald Reagan, who helped millions of us to win back our freedom and independence must be turning in this grave today, shame on you. To the uh, Prime Minister of uh, Poland, I could care less what you think. I wanna help Ukraine, I wanna help make a stronger NATO, but my country is on fire. We've had seven million people come across a broken border. How would you feel if seven million people came in illegally into Poland? So that is Lindsey Graham, who doesn't care about what the Prime Minister of Poland, Donald Tusk, that's the actual name. It sounds like a parody account of like Donald Trump combined with a walrus. No, it's the real guy. So, you know, and he's right. 
when he says, dear Republican senators of America, Ronald Reagan, who helped win uh, millions of us win back our freedom and independence, must be turning his grave today. Shame on you, because he knows that a lot of these Republican senators are going to oppose the foreign aid that theoretically Ronald Reagan would have been supportive. So uh, Lindsey Graham goes on the floor of the Senate and says, I don't care about what you think, sir. And to prove it, he took a tweet and he went to Simon Simonson's sign store to have it blown up to five feet wide and then carted it onto the floor of the Senate and debated a social media post in front of cameras for the whole country. Like, you know, you you could reply to the tweet, buddy. That's like a more direct way. It'll save you money on printing and everything. I, I support supporting local businesses too, but Simon is gonna be okay. Just like that's how little he cares. And of course, no, he doesn't not care. He cares deeply. Lindsey Graham, like, I don't know if it's some weird Republican version of the sunken place. He still thinks he has principles. They have been beaten down by his allegiance to Donald Trump over the years and the way that even though he has shown so much support for Donald Trump and the MAGA world, he continually gets mocked by Donald Trump and by those people. And so he's in this weird place where he has been debased and beaten and humiliated over years. And he wants to believe that it's worth something at the end of the day, that at the end of the day, he's doing it in pursuit of something. But but what at this point? When on so many of these things that you clearly, I'm sure years ago, thought that you lined up with Ronald Reagan, that these were sort of like core Republican values of us demonstrating our values and our strength abroad. You can't do that now because Donald Trump might get mad about it or something, or it would give Joe Biden a win and Papa Trump needs like that not to happen. And so instead, he finds himself arguing with a tweet and making stupid points. He says there, among many other stupid points, how would you fail if 7 million people came across your border? Well, uh, Poland has taken in almost one and a half million Ukrainian refugees. Thanks to the conflict that you seem to be perfectly fine with the continuation of and the utter, the eventual final success of. And so Poland, I will remind you, is a far smaller country than the United States with a far smaller population. And so look, I'm not a mathematician or whatever, and I'm not gonna whip out my calculator. But I would guess that proportionally, this is a bigger effect on their population than whatever number Lindsey Graham is gonna pull out of his butt when it comes to migrants at the southern border. And so sure, you don't care, you're not bothered, you're totally comfortable with the state of your party that on everything from securing the border to our position in the world order comes down to not the ideological or policy sort of like history of the Republican Party. It's just to whatever Donald Trump says, whatever Donald Trump says. And it makes me wonder, and I'll close on this. Like obviously there are a lot of people who do not like Donald Trump, who do not agree with Donald Trump, who are on some level, perhaps not every day, but kind of looking forward to the day when we won't have to deal with him anymore. I'm not gonna say anything more now, just say that. But like there's gotta be so many people on the right that are looking forward to it way more. Like that they'd be freed up, that Lindsey Graham can be a brave man again, and Ted Cruz, who's weathered the storm, can come out swinging and be president or something. It's pipe dreams. They've debased themselves so much that tens of millions of Republicans will never have any respect for them again. But I think they're looking forward to that day. I want to move on to another argument. But before I do, 
I am mindful of something that's very close to my heart personally. I'm sorry, Vivek, that I can't be with you for your birthday dinner, but I want you to know that Daddy loves you very much. And I'm going to read this into the record because maybe you can watch it at home. Oh, the places you'll go by Dr. Seuss. You're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting, so get on your way. I love you. Returning to the matter at hand, Madam President, or, or Mr. President, excuse me, how much time remains? Really fast, he said Madam President when he meant Mr. President, clearly his mind is going. We need like 10 New York Times articles about it, right? I mean, it was a slip up and it's caught on video. But anyway, that was Senator J.D. Vance and he took time out of the interminable debate last night in the Senate before the passage of the foreign aid bill to read, "Oh, the places you will go. And that immediately caught my eye. I've got a child, my daughter just turned today, six months old. I've already read her, Oh, the places you will go many, many times. And so it stuck out to me. I have a soft spot in my heart for that book. And if you haven't read it, and you probably have because it still sells like 50 million copies a year or something like that, it's about like the life journey of a person and how you'll go through different phases in your life and you'll encounter adversity. And you know, don't get too down about that. But if you do get down, understand that there are difficult times and sometimes you might be depressed, but sort of like hold to who you are, have faith that things will get better and just persevere, sort of keeping along that route, which might not be a straight route, it might have little zigzags in it, um, to who you truly are. And I just thought it was the perfect book for a person like JD Vance to read to someone, considering who he is. And oh, the places that he has gone in his life. If you haven't been following American politics for a long time, you may not know who J.D. Vance truly is, or more importantly, who he was. You may just see him as, oh, he's another one of those boneheaded caveman MAGA supporters. And that's true. That is who he has become. But that's not who he was at one point. At one point, he pitched himself as like a real author. Like an academic and kind of a philosopher, a popular philosopher who, you know, understands better than most the plight of working Americans and can really tap into that. And when it comes to Donald Trump, he used to have a very different approach to Donald Trump, a guy who he referred to as possibly America's Hitler. And I want to just, I want to remind you of a little bit of what he said. I don't think we have this as a graphic, but he once had a message that he sent to someone revealed. Where he said, I'm not surprised by Trump's rise. And I think the entire party has only itself to blame, to blame for his rise. His rise is a bad thing, obviously, to J.D. Vance. We are, whether we like it or not, the party of lower income, lower education, white people, the sort of people that J.D. Vance used to write about in his books. And I had been saying for a long time that we need to offer those people something. And hell, maybe even expand our appeal to working class black people in the process, or a demagogue would. We are now at that point. Trump is the fruit of the party's collective neglect, the neglect of those people, by the way. Those lost millions of working Americans, some of them liberal, many of them conservative, that the Republican Party ignored and now Trump has risen up. I go back and forth between thinking Trump is a cynical a-hole like Nixon, who wouldn't be that bad and might even prove useful, or that he's America's Hitler. How is that for discouraging? And I will take him at his word. I think he was discouraged at that point, at the idea that these people who he at least pretended to care about, these forgotten Americans were being ignored. And instead, the Republicans were just off doing rich people elite stuff. And that had allowed a person like Donald Trump, possibly America's Hitler, to rise up. And it discouraged him for a little bit. 
And then he apparently decided that, well, I guess nothing's gonna change. So instead, I'm just gonna become one of those people who claps for the America's Hitler, claps for our dear dictator. And oh, you know, those people are still gonna be forgotten and everything. But hey, maybe along the way I can get a little bit of power. And normally I would go on a rant like this, hoping to get through to a JD Vance. But the issue is that that sort of message pointing out how fundamentally he changed as a person from a warning against Donald Trump to now supporting him at every step of the way clearly hasn't worked. But last night's debate might have opened up a new path for it because apparently, while you know, a straight appeal to his values, to the principles he's supposed to have doesn't work, he seems to be a fan of Dr. Seuss. And so perhaps this is a language that he will better appreciate. I call it, oh, the corrupt opportunistic places you'll go. And I just have a few verses. You have brains in your head, but where's your heart? You've chosen power, played the part. In MAGA's embrace, you found your call, forgetting principles, forsaking all. With a hat so red and a stance so new, JD, oh JD, what happened to you? From critic to champion, a journey so odd, chasing after glory, power, and facade. So JD, in your quest for a higher shelf, did you find the Senate or lose yourself? With each step you take in your red cap parade, remember the price and the trade, Oh, the trade. On those principles that you once had, but don't have anymore. And so that's fun, but at the end of the day, the joke is probably on me. Well, the construct that I'm working with, and I think that a lot of people have in trying to get through to JD Vance, is that he once had principles, but now he's just saying stuff. Maybe I'm the one who doesn't understand what's been going on this whole time. Maybe now he's just saying stuff and before he was just saying stuff. Maybe he didn't care anymore about those people in his books or in his DMs to other people talking about America's Hitler and how depressed he was. Maybe he didn't really care about that. Maybe he's just another person like so many politicians that takes a stance and says, oh, do, do you guys like this? Will you clap for this? Will you give me power and wealth and influence for this? No, okay, I'll change this thing. Will this, will this work? And then you just do that. You just do that for a few years. You know, you do that as an author, as a senator in the same way that uh, you know Dave Rubin did as a supposed comedian for a long time until eventually you land on something and now you're one of the in people. You're one of the elites that you used to warn against. Oh, the places you'll go. Anyway. As stupid as that is, it gets slightly stupider. And I know that we're going over a little bit, but I wanna make sure that people see this. So let's jump into this video. Listen, the bill funds Ukraine through September 2025. That's nine months into what will be my father's second term, okay? They're doing this to try to prevent my father from being able to easily make peace. We all understand that the second he gets to the table, he can end this. If you pull the money away. So that is uh, Donald Trump's son, one of the stupidest adult children running around the country and blabbing their mouth because purely as a Nepo baby, as a result of the fact that his father was president, cautioning the Republicans not to allow the foreign aid bill to go through. Now, of course, he, like so many others, has been saying that Israel definitely needs the aid money that's contained within it, but it also gives money to Ukraine and we can't help them. No, just like with the border, do absolutely nothing. Give them no aid as apparently the tide has militarily turned and Russia is making major gains. And someday Donald Trump will be president if the American people make that fatal mistake again. And if you know the fruits of his various crimes don't catch up to him. 
And we can't have it be the law then because it would it would bind his hands. And the thing is, it's one thing for like the children of Donald Trump to say this, but he's not alone. We were talking earlier on the show about J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance made almost the exact same argument as the former president's coked up fail son. He sent out memos to Republican senators telling them, don't you pass this bill because it will lead to Donald Trump's impeachment. With the argument, if you could call it that being, he says in the memo, the supplemental represents an attempt by the foreign policy blob slash deep state, a thing that he now pretends to believe in because he has to, to be you know, kept in the good graces of the MAGA world, to stop President Trump from pursuing his desired policy. And if he does so anyways, to provide grounds to impeach him and undermine his administration, all Republicans should oppose its passage. So the idea there is, if we say that we're gonna give money to Ukraine, then we can't be a part of diplomacy later on. That doesn't follow literally at all. There's no reason that the money being divvied up means that the weapons have to be used in pursuit of the same military policy that was in place when the money was designated. That's not how foreign aid works at all. But even if you pretend that that's true, take a look at the argument that JD Vance is making, taking one step further than Don Jr. So if that's the law, then he's not gonna be able to negotiate for peace. But we know that he's just gonna break the law anyway. And so when he inevitably breaks the law, they'll impeach him. How little faith he has in his guy to abide by the law that he says months out from the election, we need to not pass this bill because Trump will totally break the law over it. And then he'll get impeached. Again, it doesn't follow, that's not how any of this would work, which leads you to believe like Don Jr. may be stupid enough to not understand that, but JD Vance knows that Trump wouldn't be bound in that way. So what's the real reason that he's opposing all this aid? But if we take him at his word, if we take both of them at their word, man, they have no faith whatsoever in Donald Trump and yet still want him to be president for four years or hell, perhaps for far longer. Anyway, that's all the time we have to talk about the border deal. We're gonna take a short break. When we come back, we do need to touch base a little bit with some of the legal challenges Donald Trump is facing. So we'll have that and more after this. Donald Trump is making moves to save his candidacy and perhaps save his butt when it comes to some of the criminal challenges against him, some of the trials that he's facing. And so the big update for this week is that attorneys for the former president just yesterday asked the US Supreme Court to block a criminal trial over his alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 election. And I know what you're probably thinking, wait, didn't he already do this? There's so many appeals and yes, there are, but we are going to try as we do every day to wade through it because this is actually a new thing and it's consequential. Not only for like the path that this case will take, but also whether it takes any path at all. Because there are a variety of ways that the Supreme Court can respond to this and they all matter. They're all very different and so we're gonna try to break it down. But I wanna remind you what the stakes are in this particular case. Remember, this is the January 6th coup, basically the coup flavored trial. So in that case, Trump was charged with conspiracy to defraud the US, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of and attempt to obstruct an official proceeding and conspiracy against rights. A number of different charges having to do with not, not so much the violence aspect of January 6th, although that is certainly a part of it, but his effort to have an alternate slate of electors sworn in, all of that sort of stuff. So uh, Trump has previously appealed to the Supreme Court on related matters. So in January, uh, he appealed over uh, his ballot access in Colorado. They had obviously the Supreme Court of Colorado had banned him from the ballot. 
In that case, the arguments have already been held and we're currently waiting to see what the Supreme Court is going to do. Although it looks like they're likely on a path to putting him back on the ballot. But in this area, it has to do once again with the absolute immunity that Donald Trump and his legal team say that he has. And in their appeal to the Supreme Court, they say, if a president can be criminally charged for actions taken while in office, Trump's lawyers warned such prosecutions will recur and become increasingly common, ushering in destructive cycles of recrimination. They added, without immunity from criminal prosecution, the presidency as we know it will cease to exist. So that is their argument. Their argument effectively is a massive slippery slope wherein if you don't allow the president to get away with literally any crime he chooses to commit, then no president can ever just go back into their life because they will face all these charges. It's got a couple of flaws as an argument, as I'm sure you're aware. One, this hasn't happened to former presidents, and it's probably just a coincidence that they didn't commit a bunch of crimes. And also, it's not likely to happen in the future because unlike like a civil lawsuit where you can kind of just talk to a lawyer and launch it whenever you want, a criminal prosecution like this is not an easy thing. There are a lot of different bars to action in that area. Steps that must be taken, standards that must be met. Someone has to effectively potentially put their legal career on the line to prosecute this sort of thing. There's a reason we don't see these sorts of lawsuits thrown about willy nilly. But they need to pretend that it will both be both willy and nilly as a defense for Donald Trump. And so the Supreme Court being asked to weigh in on this question and more importantly to allow the furtherance of the trial to be stopped while they consider it. Now in a related way back in December, the judge presiding over the case put the trial on pause and postponed it indefinitely while the appeals court considered the immunity question. We got earlier this month action on that when in a unanimous ruling, the US Court of Appeals rejected Trump's immunity claim. Okay, so it's complex, I get it. So up until this point, you've gone through multiple steps of the American judicial system. And the effectively second highest one is like, get out of here with that nonsense. What are you talking about absolute immunity? The only one waiting to weigh in is the Supreme Court, okay? And there's a couple of different options that they could take in this. And so let's try to wade through these and figure out what might happen. So the court can deny a stay in the case, basically deny stopping the case from moving forward, which would send it back to the US District Court and allow Judge Tanya Chutkin to restart the trial. So that's one of, I guess, the fastest ways that this could go forward. Although it wouldn't necessarily rule out the possibility that they would have to raise and adjudicate the question of absolute immunity at a later date. You could have those things theoretically working concurrently. So that's an interesting road that they could take. The court could allow a brief stay and then deny a petition of review from Trump. Doing so would allow the appeals court ruling to stand denying the former president immunity. So there's nothing inherently wrong with that option that they would briefly stay forward progress on the trial and then decide, no, at the end of the day, we're not going to take up what the appeals court did for further review. We're just gonna let it stand. That would be very reasonable, especially because the uh, the Court of Appeals is totally right in what they said. But the issue there is like, are they not gonna rule? Like the Supreme Court is not gonna rule on this in these unprecedented times. I kind of find that hard to believe. They could in fact uh, instead fast track the case as the Supreme Court did with the Colorado ballot eligibility case. In doing so, the immunity case would be given priority and likely be heard in the coming weeks. So that would kind of delay the process, but perhaps not so much so that we wouldn't have clarification before either the primary is done or more likely at least when the general election is done. 
And the final option is to leave the case on the court's regular schedule, which would likely delay oral arguments until after the general election in November. That is kind of the worst possible option. It's not the least likely option necessarily, but if they do that, it is likely that we will never actually have this case. We'll never have clarification on any of this stuff. We'll just kind of spin our wheels and wait and the election will happen and maybe Donald Trump becomes president again. And maybe he just shuts down this entire thing. That would be by far the most cowardly option that the Supreme Court could take, but that does not mean that they're not going to take it. And there's kind of a meta fifth option that they can take. So all of those are still true, the four different roads they could take with the consequences that come from those. But I would also bear in mind that they just ruled on the ballot access thing and everybody's been saying, maybe they wanna have some sort of grand bargain. Maybe they're going to put him back on the ballot, but you know that maybe makes them look biased, particularly Clarence Thomas. So what if they could sweeten the deal with something that isn't to Donald Trump's benefit? Well, there's a couple of options that we just laid out that they could couple with the ballot access thing, wherein he's able to be on the ballot, but he also doesn't get the absolute immunity that he wants. And everybody's happy, I guess. I mean, not everybody, but. A lot of people are happy and maybe he still goes to jail. So I don't know, I don't know what's gonna end up happening with that. For those two things to be bundled together, they would kind of have to do one of the ones that has a more expedited timeline. And that would be good for a lot of reasons that don't even have to do with the grand bargain. People, as I've said over and over, deserve to know, they deserve to have finality on this case. We can't just wait until November or possibly never to find out. So. I would definitely keep in mind the possibility of them achieving some sort of grand bargain. But even in advance of that, they would have to announce what they're gonna do on this case. So hopefully that will come sooner rather than later. And with that, let's let's acknowledge that with all of these different trials that are happening right now, not just the January 6th one, but also on Thursday, we're gonna find out a little bit more about the civil fraud trial, what's happening there. He's got hearings on Georgia that are happening this week as well that I don't think he's gonna be attending. It's a tough schedule on Trump, but this entire process has also been tough on his lawyers. So let's turn now to that. The Washington Post has insider sources within the Trump legal team that have revealed the ways that Trump is trying to crack down on the admittedly out of control legal spending he's had to engage in as his multi-pronged legal defense goes forward. And also revealing some of the, I would say, kind of unique challenges that being a lawyer for Donald Trump bring with them. So on the money end, lawyers have been told they can't charge more than $750 an hour after some lawyers sent in bills that Trump's political advisors deemed exorbitant. According to one of the sources, attorney Todd Blanche and the Florida legal team often apparently meet with Trump at Mar-a-Lago the day before court appearances and then stay overnight. So theoretically, those hours could really add up. And so those bills, I will admit, maybe are a lot of money. But when they're there with him, trying to get him ready for developments in this case, apparently he does not like to hear tough news about any of the cases and will then change his story when he does. Now, it might not be immediately clear what they mean by that, and we're going to return to it. What do you mean change your story just because of bad news? It's not good, we'll return to that. First though, let's focus on the money. So remember, in the Eugene Carroll case, he owes, we could round it to $100 million. That's a lot of money. In the civil fraud trial, he could owe a quarter million, a quarter billion dollars. He could owe a half billion dollars, a lot of money, whatever way you slice it. And here's the thing, with all of with some of that guaranteed and some of it still hypothetical, 
With the stakes so high, a significant portion of his entire net worth on the line, should he really be cutting corners with what his lawyers bill, considering all that they have to deal with when trying to help him out? $750 an hour is a lot for you or me, but for a guy that claims to be a multi-billionaire, what do you care? It's Remember, it's not even his money that's being spent. They're raising money from the MAGA world and throwing it into that ever increasing ditch. So it's weird that he would start to pinch pennies considering the huge sums that are already being thrown around. And it's not like he's gonna end up paying the lawyers in a lot of cases. So maybe he'll even be able to save the MAGA world some money. But let's get back to his changing of the story, which is really in line with everything that we know about Donald Trump through the course of his life. He doesn't like reality when it isn't in his favor. So according to a source who's worked for Trump on legal matters says he has his own set of facts. That's the biggest issue of representing him. It's impossible to get him to agree to a unified set of facts. And as soon as there is an issue with one of those facts, the facts just change retroactively. So this is the alternative facts that Kellyanne Conway told us about literally years ago. And the thing is, it isn't that he just refuses to accept the facts, comes up with new ones, changes what he thinks his defense is about or the way he communicates about his defense in his own mind or at Mar-a-Lago. He goes on social media and makes a legal matter of it. And so the report says Trump posts on social media without telling anyone, leaving his advisors and lawyers to read his missives at the same time as the public. And I will remind you, these missives have legal ramifications they already have in the E. Jean Carroll case. And so just briefly, I want to combine all of these different factors of what Donald Trump does to his lawyers and to himself as we get ready for a major advancement in the civil fraud trial current coming up later this week. He truthed this earlier today, and I'm just gonna jump around a little bit, but he says, Letitia Peekaboo James is a corrupt attorney general who wants to get Trump. Let's pause there for a second. And I will remind you that Donald Trump, a guy who's former president, might be the future president, is using an explicitly racist, albeit weird slur against Letitia James. He doesn't like her, so he calls her peekaboo. And I know that we're not supposed to throw around accusations of racism. How, what do you mean he's racist? Well, if you're a Trump fan and you read that and you laughed at that, why don't you tell me what it means? What does he mean by peekaboo? If it's not racist, what is it? You got nothing. Trump's got nothing. You know why you like it. You know why you enjoy it. You know why he keeps sending it out. But more importantly, he says that the civil fraud trial is a sham because they're not taking into account the Trump brand, which is his most valuable asset worth literally billions of dollars. And the judge has said that Mar-a-Lago is only worth $18 million rather than 50 to 100 times that amount. These are some of those alternate facts that he's come up with to make himself feel better that importantly, have nothing to do with the case. You can keep saying that Mar-a-Lago is worth billions of dollars. It isn't, okay? Nobody has assessed it at that value. And so it has nothing to do with the case. You can keep calling James racist slurs. It's not gonna change anything. You can keep saying that your reputation or your Twitter account should be worth billions of dollars. That's not how any of this works. And he is presenting that as his legal defense. He is making these claims that in theory could see themselves pop up in the case, but that isn't going to help him actually win the case. And so it feels good for him, but it does his lawyers no favors as they continue to struggle in very difficult circumstances to give him even a minor win amidst all of this terrible legal news for him.
Donald Trump is back attacking soldiers, mocking them ruthlessly once again. It's one of his favorite hobbies. He, of course, attacked Nikki Haley's husband earlier this week. And despite the criticism of that that he has faced from Nikki Haley from the media, he is in fact doubling down on Truth Social, saying, Tricky Nikki is crashing in the polls. She is 15 points down to crooked Joe Biden. Stick a pin in that, we'll return to it. And I'm crushing him and all the Capitol peoples. She's got no reason to make it to the South Carolina primary. The other day, she had almost no one attend her rally. We had thousands and thousands who couldn't even get in the large arena. An embarrassment to her wonderful husband in Africa. I think he should come back home to help save her dying campaign. Well, he can't because he's serving as a National Guardsman. He's got like a year long thing, a commitment that he made. He has a sense of duty to his country or whatever. All of this obviously lost on Donald Trump. No, it's just convenient that he can now mock the husband, pretending that he's just like chilling in Africa for a while or something like that. And she needs help. Of course, she needs to be saved. He doesn't need his wife to ever visit him on the campaign trail or whatever. She can just stay wherever the hell she is, Mar-a-Lago, Africa, he don't know. Um, but she needs the help. I would also like to just briefly touch base with the she's down 15 points to crooked Joe Biden. That is just like mwah, lies. It's exactly the opposite of the truth. He is directly referencing the Wisconsin poll that we've already talked about on the show that shows that she's up by 15 points over Joe Biden, where Trump is tied. Trump is doing fine in the polls against Biden for the most part, although recently it's kind of tightened up and it's looking like a little bit of a coin flip. Haley is clearly beating him in the polls. And so he has to just upside down reality because that's where his base is most comfortable. So anyway, she has responded even more forcefully than she did yesterday to these attacks saying, the most harm he's ever come across is whether a golf ball hits him on a golf cart and you're gonna go and mock our men and women in the military. I don't care what party you're in, that's not okay. I like that line, I think it's pretty good. He leads a very easy, very comfortable life and he, I mean, look, granted he could potentially like, I don't know, trip in some wet, you know, golf course grass, maybe tumble into a sand trap or something. But most of the threats to his life are golf related. I will agree with her there. But regardless, it is clear that she smells blood in the water on this veterans issue. And so she's released an ad. Take a look. President Trump says no other president is more with the military than he is, but he's made it an unusual habit for a commander in chief of picking fights with and being insensitive to members of the military and their families. The article said Trump called those who died suckers and losers. The stunning detail that Trump turned to Kelly on Memorial Day at Arlington National Cemetery in 2017 and asked, I don't get it. What was in it for them? He attacked John McCain, a POW who spent more than five years in captivity during the Vietnam War. I like people that weren't captured, okay? And now he's attacking retired Admiral Bill McRaven, a former Navy SEAL who oversaw the mission that took out Osama bin Laden. Donald Trump had a rally today. And in that rally, he mocked my husband's military service. And I'll say this. Donald, if you have something to say, don't say it behind my back. Get on a debate stage and say it to my face. I am proud of Michael's service. Every military spouse knows it's a family sacrifice. I have long talked about the fact that we need to have mental competency tests for anyone over the age of 75. Donald Trump claims that he would pass that. 
Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. But if you mock the service of a combat veteran, you don't deserve a driver's license, let alone being president of the United States. It's a good ad. It's a fine ad. I think, yeah, she's right. He's uh, he's flippant. He's attacked service members for uh, many years. He does look like hell in the clip that she chose. That was a brutal choice of which clip to play of Donald Trump. Um, he just looks. He looks like one of the Skeksis mid dying. I will I will put it in those terms for my Dark Crystal fans out there. But um, but the issue for Nikki Haley, and it's why I feel kind of bad for, her, is uh, you can take what you just did there, and you can go through years of him mocking service members, and that paints a damning picture of Donald Trump. But it paints a picture of him that has been painted for years, and it's it's one of those unfortunate things where, yeah, he clearly doesn't respect service members, and he never has. And they don't care in the MAGA world, that's the issue. Oh No, his brain is tapioca pudding, everybody knows that. But they don't care in the MAGA world, that's the unfortunate thing. He can keep repeatedly mocking soldiers and you still get posts like this that he retweeted. This is greatness, this is leadership, this is the greatest commander in chief we ever had. Greatest commander in chief probably would not think that the soldiers their commander in chief of were losers and suckers. But they like that image. They still paint him as having six pack abs. It's not fair, Nikki Haley. I agree. It's not fair that nothing he says or does seems to hurt him amongst his base. But, but that's the way it is. So you know, keep on fighting the good fight. Just don't expect that it's actually going to work. Anyway, with that said, why don't we turn to our next topic? We're going to talk a little bit about the other guy in the race, starting the, with this. We're suddenly seeing signs that the Biden White House has been taken over by the Biden campaign. Now, given how poorly Biden's doing, the angle imagines that the woman behind the curtain, Dr. Jill, is demanding that people do a better job for her husband, which means rotating out the farm team for the bigger hitters with better messaging. Now, for many months, the president has been frustrated that he's not getting credit for the great economy because they can't admit their massive spending drove the high prices that caused inflation. The Biden campaign decided it would help if they used other words instead. Take out the in and add greed and shrink. They don't realize that he's actually attacking his own economy. Now, companies shrink products not for fun. It's not fun to do that, but they do it because if they don't, they have to raise prices. It's basic economics, kids. We are going to return to the shrinkflation, but I love that graphic there where he's on the saving private Ryan sort of thing. I love that like even when they're making jokes, Biden's one of the allies and they're the bad guys. The guys literally fighting the Nazis are the ones that we should mock. So just like Donald Trump mocking the soldiers there, but let's talk about this because she's saying inflation is bad, right? I mean, that's why the economy is bad. So theoretically, Biden should be against the inflation, he should try to rein it in. But like in every other instance over the past few years, anything that is done or even proposed to rein in inflation, they're against. So let's be clear, we're gonna give you what Joe Biden said about shrinkflation, but she is on the side of the corporations that are screwing over consumers. Here is the thing that Joe Biden said that made her so angry. The Super Bowl Sunday, if you're anything like me, you like to be surrounded by a snack or two while watching the big game. You know, when buying snacks for the game, you might have noticed one thing. Sports drinks bottles are smaller. A bag of chips has fewer chips. 
but they're still charging it just as much. And as an ice cream lover, what makes me the most angry is that ice cream cartons have actually shrunk in size, but not in price. I've had enough of what they call shrinkflation. It's a ripoff. Some companies are trying to pull a fast one by shrinking the products little by little and hoping you won't notice. Give me a break. The American public is tired of being played for suckers. I'm calling on companies to put a stop to this. Let's make sure businesses do the right thing now. And you used to be able to get a Hershey bar for a nickel. No, but jokes aside, he's right. They do that. It's terrible. So uh, look, there's a variety of reasons that inflation happened. But we've already known, we've adjudicated it, the studies have come in. A lot of it was just baked in extra profit for the corporations. They jacked up the price of things because they're like, you know, people are talking about supply chain issues. I bet we can charge a lot more and make a lot more. Because after all, it's not like they raise the prices and then they also raised their, their costs were up. Their literal profits were up. And the right, including Fox News, has to pretend that they're opposed to that, but they don't ever want anything done to raise it in, to rein that in. You remember, they didn't want anything done to lower the cost of gas. They argued against it in this case. And it's not even her. Rachel Campos Duffy has a thing about how he's being mean to big food or whatever. So they want to pretend that they're on the side of the consumers, but they don't want the prices to go down. They're lining up with the corporations that are screwing people over to say, no, no, they should be able to remove some of the chips from a bag or whatever and charge you the same amount. And let's bear in mind, they're not just removing some of the product. They're also jacking up the price at the same time. You're paying more for literally yet less. They don't want anything to be done. In fact, they don't even want prominent politicians to point out that this is a thing that's happening. And this is the fundamental magic trick of Fox News, that they want to pretend to be populist. They want to pretend to line up on the side of the working class of the consumers who are legitimately being screwed over by the status quo. But every single time something is proposed to do something about it, oh, what do you know? They've found a tricky way to line up with the corporations that are screwing you over. When are their audience going to realize the game that is being played? Anyway, that is unfortunately all the time. In fact, more than the time that we have for our first hour. So thank you, everybody who's been watching. There's more to come in the aftermath after this.